1: Uh, what's up everyone we are launching a new show called the atlantic division mixtape going to be doing this every friday except for holidays come on now we still have lives so don't don't expect us to be doing that too uh gonna be doing it with my man he writes for nets daily chris milholland chris before i jump into things what the hell is going on in brooklyn we've had this Kyrie bs going on steve nash fellow canadian British Columbian, as well, ends up again. It was that a mutual party thing? We have so many, so much to talk about when it comes to the Atlantic division. We're going to be talking Nets, Sixers, of course, the Celtics, the Raptors, the Knicks. Going to be touching on all that, doing that every week. So, Chris, like I mentioned, you cover uh, the Nets for us at SB Nation at Nets Daily. Also, have some other side gigs that you're doing as well. So, you're very well plugged in with the team. Let's jump into this first the Kyrie Irving drama, right? The anti Semitic stuff he posted. Uh, posted the link to that that video, obviously, which is a bunch of bullshit, excuse my language, uh, came out and actually apologized after the team said he's going to be suspended a minimum of five games without pay. When you look at Kyrie finally coming out last night on Instagram, uh, came out with a post basically saying he apologizes to the Jewish community, wants to look at this world in a equal way, and he's sorry if he basically put Jewish people into danger, apologizing for not knowing Uh, the history of everything and and how hurtful his comments could be. When you're looking at this from your perspective, you're around the team a ton, basically at almost every home game, go to practices. So you're in the building. When you look at this Kyrie stuff, where do you think this is ultimately headed uh, from not only a basketball standpoint, but off the court as well?
0: Well, where I'm heading, where it's heading right now is you have to, you have to have the, I guess the openness to realize that that could, that Kyrie Irving's Nets tenure could be over. Right. That's that's kind of the, the, I would say even the bottom line here. Obviously, the Nets are suspended in five games without pay, at least five games without pay. So we'll see how long it goes into, past that five games, whether it starts at five games. I think it'll probably go over. So what led to this suspension? Obviously, Kyrie had two uh, testy media sessions. He had one Saturday, right, uh, where uh, obviously the, uh, Nick Friedle of ESPN, you got to give him credit where credit's deserved. He did a great job standing his ground and being a reporter. Uh, asking those type of questions, saying, hey, why did you promote this film? And Kyrie Irving quickly uh, and not surprisingly went away and said, I don't, I don't call it promotion. It's my platform. I can post what I want on my platform. And when you look at all of his platforms, I think it's around, what, 21 million followers, right? So mm-hmm. the guy, any type of athlete should know. And obviously that comes with the territory of the job. When you have a platform so big as superstars do, especially in the NBA, that your voice is powerful, no matter what you talk about. There is someone that there are kids, there are adults, there are any real fans of yours that absorb your content and take it in an influential way, right? So uh, on Saturday, he that he completely denied promoting the the link to the the book that obviously was made out a movie, which was that uh, link to a film full of anti Semitics. And on, on the latest one shoot around yesterday, um, he said he took responsibility, but he never apologized. Right. And th- that really uh, ticked off the team. When you look at the statement that the team put out, right, they were kind of it came up. It was the most clear and powerful statement that anyone has put on this matter, put out on this matter. And when it came down to it, they suspended him for at least five games without pay, uh, rightfully deserving suspension. Obviously, we could all agree on that. Uh, when Kevin spoke about it today, obviously I wasn't there, but uh, with shoot-around in uh, D.C., when obviously ahead of today's game, Kevin kind of called the handling of the whole thing, and I, I want to be careful with how I say these words. He called it unnecessary because of how this all came about, right? It was unnecessary for Irving. And I'm not, now, this is me talking here. By him saying that it was all unnecessary means that, hey, Ir- Irving shouldn't even put that out in the first place. You know, all this could have been avoided, right? And Kevin Durant went on Twitter shortly after once once, obviously, the beat writers started uh, publishing their story saying, I just want to clarify the statements I made at shoot around. I see some people are confused. I do not. I don't condone hate speech or anti-Semitism. I am all I'm, I'm about spreading love. Always our game, unites people. And I want to make sure that's at the forefront. So, Jazz, even like, you know, anyone that watches the NBA knows, especially that has a close eye on Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant has a special and extreme passion for basketball. Right. He always wants to hoop out there. And that's been a kind of a very main theme throughout the kind of his tail end of his career, or I do not even call it tail end of his career, but at this stage of his career, ever since he obviously ruptured the Achilles, that he's grateful to play basketball. And obviously, like all NBA fans do, you do feel sorry for Kevin, right? You feel sorry for what he's all had to absorb, obviously, not just this season, but years past. Obviously, the disgruntledness of James Harden. Then you got obviously multiple Kyrie Irving sagas to highlight the whole thing. The five, the parting ways of Steve Nash. So, it's a lot going on in Brooklyn. You know, I had them going to the finals in the beginning of the year. I do not have them going to the finals. Now I do what you
1: had them going to the finals at the beginning of the year. Chris, yeah, I, had final-
0: I had them going to the finals in the beginning of the year. It took me what? Six games to realize that, that <laughs> nowhere close to going to happen. Right. I know a lot of guys say, you know what? Maybe a head coaching change can fix this. You can bring in whatever coach you want. I don't think this gets fixed. And it's a realistic question. Now, um, Whether the Nets should blow this all up or should they kind of like, you know, even dating back to last year, you know, me and you even talked about it, what transpired in the offseason, it's something that can the team get over and move past. And, you know, now that you have this mountain on top of the whole thing, it's a realistic question whether, you know, this early into the season, whether it's even worth keeping this around.
1: Yeah, and I think that was a question after the playoffs last year, right after getting swept by 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 Boston in in the first round and and looking at that, people were like, how long are you going to be able to to sustain this? And just given not the the, the talents there, I think they have the right pieces in place. Um they have the right infrastructure in place just in terms of with Joe Psy, who seems like a pretty good owner so far, willing to spend the money, willing to make changes where where they're necessary, but everybody was kind of thinking that going into the offseason. And obviously Kevin Durant at first said, Hey, I don't want to come back without Sean Marks or Steve Nash ended up getting his wish six games into the season. Uh, like you mentioned, basically getting rid of our uh, seven games into the season, getting rid of uh, uh, Nash at that point. Uh-huh. But looking, looking at this from, from the KD perspective, like you just mentioned, cause I'm with you. Yeah. I hear Kevin Durant talk. And to me, again, I don't know him personally. I've never had a chance to cover a team he's played on. So I haven't got to deal with him in, in the locker room. But when you look at KD, he does just seem like a guy who just wants to play basketball, have a good life and enjoy it. And, and, you know, he said that he's like uh, he was responding to, I think it was Gerald McCoy from a former NFL player. And he was saying, hey, you know, like I got love for you. He's like, man, I get to play basketball for a living. I'm paraphrasing here. And and, then I'm, uh, you know, I'm happy with that, which again, to me is a right attitude, right? The guy makes like $45 million a year. He's happy. He's got a good life. But at the same time, I think what. Is happened in this day and age with social media too. And we're seeing this with the Elon Musk takeover or on Twitter is Everybody wants to have a voice. Right. And this kind of pisses me off, Chris, to be honest, from a personal standpoint, which is it's very easy to say, Kevin Durant, you should speak up and you should say something about this. It's like, well, look around yourself. I'm talking to individual society. Right. How much do we take personal accountability for some of the dumb things we've done, the hurtful things that we've said? People don't do that. So I'm always in that in that gap where, hey, if an athlete chooses to be a role model, let him be a role model, right? And and go after and do whatever you want, spread positive messages. And also if an athlete doesn't want anything to do with it, leave him alone, right? And I, I don't condone what, Kay, what Kyrie said. I think it was ridiculous. It was dumb. It was stupid. I can come up with every other word you can think of. But at the same time, when I look at it from KD's perspective, it's like the guy just wants to talk about hoops, right? You want to get into it with him, get get into it with him. And we saw him be the good guy, you know, when he started off in Seattle and the team moved to OKC. And then obviously he just took the villain turn when he signed with the Warriors in 2016. And ever since then, he gets testy, right? He gets super testy If you ask him questions that aren't hoops related, um, he, he doesn't like it. And, and so now Chris, we're looking at this from a perspective of, okay, we have KD, talking about um, everything that's going on off the court, but on the court, how do you see this playing out at this point, right? You're looking at you're looking at this squad. Uh, the the Nets have been struggling, obviously, to start the season. It didn't do a good job with roster uh, composition, you know, let some key guys go in the offseason. Um, now they're sitting at Two and six, eight games, and again, still very early, too. They can absolutely turn things around. You look at a team like the Warriors in the West, they're three and six, and we all expect the Warriors to be in the playoff, if not championship conversation, come time for April. But when you're looking at this from your perspective, what happens with the Nets on the court?
0: On the court, it's going to be interesting, right? Because the main question going into the season was: when this team faces adversity, how is not only Kevin Durant going to react? How is the team going to react? And considering that standpoint, how is what was going to be the situation the type? The temperature of Steve Nash's seat, right? Obviously, that part is completely out of the equation. He's gone, and um, it was it was going to be interesting. Like, I, like I've said on a couple podcasts, that the Nets have. They have a very tough schedule in this first uh, early part of the season, right? Out of their first 25 games, I think over a dozen of them were against playoff caliber teams. Obviously, in the NBA, talent grows every single year. And, Jazz, I think you could even agree, when you look across the league, the, the, the balance of power and the balance of just complete roster strength, from superstars to role players to kind of just that competition level, Is that an even playing field to at least compare to the past, I'd say five or 10 years, right? There's multiple teams that couldn't be in the hunt for a championship that are known as sleepers. Obviously me and you know, and the rest of the uh, the rest of our audience knows what teams are likely to make it all the way or have Mm -hmm. a great chance of making it. But you look at guys like the Cavs, for example, you look at other other teams around the league, like I guess you could say the Clippers, you know, like other type of guys that could sneak in and make those – make those uh, like sudden appearances being like, oh, wow, you know, they could actually make it. They upset this team in the first round, you know? So there's a, a very great even balance of power throughout the NBA, which I love. And I can imagine all NBA fans do. But getting back to the Nets, right? It's, it's, it, it's, it was so, it's so interesting what's going on because the Nets have the best roster that they they have had in the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving era, right? The only thing they're really missing is a lumbering big, which Sean Marks decided not to go for in the off season, right? They didn't see yeah. Andre Drummond, they let Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge go, and now they're they're running with Nick Claxton and De'Ron Sharp, and and obviously Ben Simmons is hurt now, which obviously is it's a uh, it's more concerning <laughs> on my aspect than I think what people kind of see it as because even though it's left scene soren- soreness, there is a swelling factor, and he's getting, he's gonna miss his third game here, and he's actually gonna miss the back to back. He's gonna miss tonight's game. Obviously, we're recording on Friday against the Wizards and against the Hornets. Right. So, how I think this is all gonna play out you can really put your cards anywhere you want and you have a good chance of hitting it. You know what I mean? Because it's yeah. it's one of those things where knowing Kevin Durant and what, like, obviously, as you perfectly uh, uh, illustrated it, um, what transpired in the offseason, you know, going into the season, even though he said, hey, we're committed and making a long-term uh, agreement and a long-term uh, commitment to this franchise, you know, what's transpiring around Kevin Durant Obviously, highlighted with what's going on with Kyrie Irving and obviously Steve Nash, uh, obviously them parting ways. It's not completely his fault. Obviously, I'm glad that all Nets fans are starting to realize that, uh, especially on social media, that, hey, you know, Kevin Durant, you look at him, he's a guy throughout the whole tenure that's really absorbed a lot. He's only missed games due to injury. And this season, he's out there playing 35, 40 minutes a game. And I think he's fourth in the league in scoring. So he's doing everything he can to give this Nets team a chance of winning despite their rough start. So, where does the team go from here? Well, number one, obviously, you guys see how long Irving's suspension lasts. I can imagine it's going to be longer than five games, right? I, I don't see it being five games. I could see it being longer than five. Uh, two is where does the team go from a trade aspect? So, whether, okay, obviously, that's highlighted by Kyrie Irving as well. But do they finally go out and go get a lumbering big? You know, it's pretty hard. I know a lot of people have been calling for that. But, Jazz, as you know, this team doesn't have the assets to go out and get that kind of perfect big man that fits their system, right? So the perfect big man that fits their system is the perfect example is Miles Turner, for example, right? A big man that could shoot, could hold his ground down low. But at the same time, when you look at what the Pacers would at least demand from Miles Turner, they would want draft capital, and they would probably want some young players in return. The Nets only have half of that ordeal, right? You could package guys like Cam Thomas or Kessler Edwards who obviously have not played the season. They've racked up DNPs, but they don't have the draft compensation, right? So it's probably not going to happen due to the lack of uh, the lack of um, facilities and resources that they have to go out and go get a big man. So, you know, it's how I see this thing happening. I think, Kevin's going to continue to demand a heavy wor- workload, especially now with the absence of Irving. You know, um, obviously it's very tough with uh, in, an active head coach like Jack Vaughn, even though that he knows the schemes that Steve Nash has implemented throughout the season and, and through training camp. And obviously this early part of the season, they can still stay afloat. But what direction do the Nets go with, with the head coach, right? With obviously the Ime Udoka discussions have quieted down, right? And I think that's more so just assuming, just assuming here, no reporting that that's more of a factor of the the franchise kind of contemplating what direction they want to go. Do they want to finish this whole year out, or, or, or do they want to – I'm not going to say play the smart approach, but do they want to have that extra blanket of security saying, you know what, maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea to trade Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, re-up on uh, draft capital because obviously they lost all of it in the James Harden trade, and do they go with a coach that's more focused on development, right? Because you're not <laughs> going to bring in a guy like Ime Udoka – or Quinn Snyder, for example, to lead a rebuilding team. So, like I said, anything's on the table for this team. I can imagine you're on the same boat as me. And, you know, in Brooklyn, it's been a lot. It's been a a huge chaos this past couple of weeks.
1: Oh, of course. And it's been the center of the basketball universe for the last couple of weeks with everything going on, and and rightfully so, in terms of the Kyrie news. And obviously, you have a talent like Kevin Durant. And going back to, to Steve Nash, you know, looking at him, as a head coach um you know a couple of years ago they were in the the eastern conference semifinals a kevin durant you know toenail away from being in the conference finals and and with that squad and again i think that would have maybe given steve nash a little bit more of a leash in terms of being able to stay on as a coach and then you had the 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 crappy elimination last season against against uh boston in 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 the opening round but looking at him as a coach obviously hall of fame player two-time mvp uh, just a great point guard by all means. Uh, a wonderful teammate. People loved playing with him. Yep. What do you think went wrong with him on on the coaching front? Was it just the the scheme? Was it the? And he said this right. He's like, I'm just not connecting with him. So him, as a guy who's a leader on a Suns team that never really got over the over the the top of the hill, you know, in terms of winning a championship, but definitely had the self awareness to be like, dude, I've been around teams that the coaches. The guys are checked out from the coach, so he was able to see that and said they're not responding to me. When you look at him, what do you think went wrong uh, for him as calling the shots on the sidelines?
0: You know, I think it's a mixture of everything, right? It's a mixture of kind of everything you mentioned there.
1: Because one, it's, I think, well, first and
0: most importantly, I think that obviously the Nets the Nets, really had no choice but to suspend Irving, like we all agree, it was the best decision, the only right decision to make, right? And that has been in the works for since the, since that link went up, since he posted that link. Right. And mm-hmm. that's where in talks with the ADL led by obviously the Nets governor, Joe Sy. So I, now was all before Steve Nash. There was even rumblings of Steve Nash being um, being let go this early in the season. Right. So I think part of it too, is number one, that the Nets general manager, and this is just me assuming this isn't me reporting, but um, that the Nets general manager and Steve, they, they hold a very close relationship. They played together in Phoenix. Um, Sean Mark said that, that their relationship uh, stems decades long and, you know, they want to continue to have that great relationship. Obviously when you work in sports, this type of stuff happens, not everything is all sunshine and rainbows. So I think considering the sp- suspension being loomed for Irving at that time, obviously Nash got fired before the suspension was handed down. I think that played a factor in it because with Steve, obviously that's very hard for a coach to absorb, especially a coach that has been struggling and getting to the messaging part, right? Obviously a lot of the players, uh, turned away and denied the fact that Steve's messaging was getting away from them. But when you looked at the product that was being displayed on the court, it was obvious because the nets commonly went away from schemes when they dug themselves in holes. It really went to ISO ball and hero ball between Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving, almost every single time up and down the floor. And you know, the, the the most interesting part of this, obviously players have the right to say what players want to say, but in the wake of Steve Nash's parting ways, and his, I guess you could call it his departure. Uh, Joe Harris kind of said this really well, and I think he handled it the best way he could. He said that Steve Nash, and I think everyone agrees here, he has had the toughest hand out of any first-time head coach and probably league history. Mm -hmm. What he's had to absorb and what he's obviously the familiarity in the coaching scene that he came in with, right? Because you look at at his whole tenure, there is a shopping list of negative things that that man had to deal with, obviously starting with the COVID-19 outbreaks, that completely trashed continuity and cohesion in that kind of uh in that um series in the season when obviously they got eliminated by the Bucks in uh, heartbreaking fashion. Then you kind of go down the list. Obviously they trade for James Harden. You got to implement one of those guys that's a prolific scorer, one-on-one player, into an offense that already has two superstars that demand the ball in their hands to score. Um, And then obviously when you trade him away, you get bringing guys like Ben Simmons, for example, where you don't really know what he can bring. Obviously he had a lot of his physical and mental aspects coming into the year where he didn't play the rest of that season when he got traded after the deadline. And then the other pieces to the roster, obviously, you know, even though, Hey, the roster on paper looked very good. You know, it was one of those things where he just couldn't, he never really got a fair hand on a roster that had familiarity every single year. There was different players, different for, especially for a contending team. Right. He had changes to his coaching staff. You know, Ime Udoka went to Boston. He brought in obviously Igor. Jack Vaughn has only been really that lead that assistant that was with him throughout his whole tenure, right? Jordan Ott went to the Lakers, who was his offensive coordinator. He had all that stuff. So when you really look at it, he didn't have a fair hand. And Joe mentioned that he goes, the amount of stuff that Steve had to endure in those I I call him a third-year head coach, obviously, third, I call him two years and eight and seven games. But uh, what he had to endure you know not many coaches have been able to were could have been able to succeed and I think Steve Curry even chimed in on that too when he was asked shortly after Nash's departure saying hey if I was even over there in that situation and he kind of name dropped I believe a couple other head coaches that have successfully he said I don't think there have been much guys that could have handled it better than Steve did right so yeah you know, I think I think that's where it all sums up. He kind of had an unfair hand here. I'm not saying I'm not kind of saying, "Hey, Steve, should I have been should I have stayed there?" But I think Steve got out at the perfect time. I think he did he did exactly what he could have done throughout his whole tenure. And you know, uh, it's it's an, it's unfortunate for Steve to with to kind of endure all of that in two and two years and seven games. But you know, it's it, it was it was a really really tough ride for him. I think everyone could agree on that.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, I saw somebody tweet that, like, don't feel sorry for the guy. He's got generational wealth. He's walking away. He's like, that, dude, this situation. Yeah. True. You know, this situation is, is, is toxic and, and I need to get out of here. Uh, Chris, let's take a, let's take a quick break. We want to jump into the rest of the Atlantic division teams. Of course, the team that I cover, the Sixers dealing with some adversity themselves. We'll also jump into some Knicks, Celtics, Raptor stock. We'll do that after a short break. All right, we're back. Uh, Chris, we did a deep dive on everything going on around the Nets. Uh, like you mentioned, they're taking on the Wizards tonight, we're recording this on a Friday. Uh, looking around the rest of the division, and as I mentioned the team that I covered, the Sixers, off to a 1-4 and four start, ended up winning three in a row, had an ugly, ugly game against the Wizards themselves on Wednesday. More bad news from there. James Harden out now at least a month, uh, hoping that, that that is the case. He's going to be back, pub- you know, hopefully, within that four-week time frame. At some point, but looking at what's going on with the Sixers from your perspective, a lot of the talk has been around Doc Rivers, right? Not not yep. finding the right combinations, maybe schematically not doing things right. Um, and now dealing with with this hardened foot injury. When you look at the Sixers, and again, I, I don't want to act like the sky is falling, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, too. Like, dude, we're still less than 10 games into the season. Things might be different at 20 games. But now, like, Joel Embiid's missed the last couple with a non-COVID illness. Uh, he had to deal with, deal with plantar fasciitis throughout the offseason, didn't really get off the couch for a couple of months. Uh, so he's working himself back into shape. But looking at this now from your perspective, what do you think about the Sixers? And and do you think they're going to be able to get things back on track, given the fact that they're missing Harden, who... And Harden looked great, right? Like, throughout yeah. the, the early part of this season... A lot of people were worried about that. How is he going to look in terms of physically? I don't think athletically he's going to be anywhere close to the same level that he was in Houston, and that's irrelevant of the hamstring of the injury he suffered with Brooklyn. But if you look at the job he's doing overall, averaging 22 points, second in the league in assists at 10 a game. When you look at your expectations for this team going into this month, how do you think the Sixers are going to respond to this?
0: You know, I think I think it's the month of Maxi, right? I think I think all yeah. Sixers fans are kind of really looking on this. How, this is kind of Maxi's. Obviously, Maxi has had breakout opportunities, showing glimpses of superstardom. He's been um obviously he's been really kind of the year. I guess you could say even the future of the Sixers, right? He's one of those guys that everyone's looking at, like, wow, this guy can really be a superstar here. You know, like he's mm-hmm. he's performed really well. So you got to really look at it. Will November be the month of Maxi, right? Because Maxi. Was it? I think he's I think he's played the most minutes in the NBA. I believe I think, yeah. I think it's up there yeah. right. So yeah. when you when you look at it there, it's not that okay. He's having a huge load, and that's supplementing for more opportunities. Yes, you could view in that that aspect, but that's showing that he's able to take on that responsibility, right? Especially with James Harden out now, his role is even going to be bigger, right? So I think that's going to be the biggest one. The other the other part of it is. Um obviously you know success with NBA teams revolve around superstars. What version of the the Sixers or what version of the uh of Embiid are the Sixers gonna get when James Harden's out, right? Because with Embiid, it's you know what his dominance can bring, you know what he could do on both ends of the floor, and you know, he's he's missed I think he's missed a couple games, right? I believe yeah. so. I think yeah. he's missed a couple games. So he's still averaging, I think, like twenty a little over twenty-seven points per game, and he's shooting obviously I think it's close to fifty-five percent from the field. And you know when you look at the schedule, what the Sixers have coming up, obviously that correlates a little bit to what uh, Doc their Doc Rivers point there. They have what the the Suns at home, I believe, or that was that already played. I'm not too sure. No, no,
1: they're they're playing the Suns on uh, on Monday.
0: Monday, right? They have yeah. the Suns. Then they have a home and home set. They have a kind of a mini series with the Hawks. And then they have, obviously, a back-to-back set. That's kind of tough when you look at it on paper, the Bucks and the Timberwolves. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, you have the Brooklyn Nets coming to town. And, obviously, that's a game that's going to likely not feature James Hart. It's the 22nd of November. You don't know what's going to be going on with Ben Simmons. Is he going to play? Is he going to be over his knee soreness? We don't know yet. Obviously, same thing with Irving. Is Irving going to be still suspended by then? You know, then, you know, when you lead into kind of that Thanksgiving holiday type of area, you got, obviously, the Red Hot Cleveland Cavaliers have been out and out playing really kind of everyone. They've been kind of competing. Yeah,
1: they look great. Yeah,
0: they look great. And then obviously the Hawks again, and then you got a tough test in the Grizzlies too, right? So it's life is not going to be easy without James Harden here. And I, I I know your point that, and I agree with your point that James Harden is going to be able to regain that level of athleticism, but he's still trying to, but the good thing is that he's absorbing kind of that familiarity and that role of production, right? He's starting to get back to scoring the ball a little more. You can tell he's getting a little more comfortable with the Sixers offense now with the familiarity that he's been there a little bit. So you have all those things going in there. But with the Sixers, I don't think it's any time to panic, you know, especially considering you guys are a drama-free organization right now, you know, so compared to what I'm used to covering over here.
1: Yeah, yeah, big oh, time, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: big time, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's compared to us, like compared to over here in Brooklyn, it's rainbows and sunshine over there. So obviously with Harden, it's, it's a big hit. You know, you don't know obviously how he's going to recover from that. Obviously with foot injuries, especially a guy like him that plants his foot, drives a lot. His game is really, you know, like I said, when he came over the hamstring injury, everyone thought, okay, that's kind of that, um, not just father time, but it's one of those things where if you're a dynamic guard that really utilizes his body to kind of get through the lane, kind of not, I want to kind of compare him to a play style like Derek Rose, but, you know, it was a kind of that guy that really utilizes his toughness and physicality to really make success out of his game. You know, it's, it's a little bit, I want to call it concerning, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on for his play style. But, um, you know, I, I have high hopes for the Sixers, you know, I'm, I, listen, me and you both, I said it earlier, I picked the Nets to go to the finals. I don't know if I have a bad jinx. I don't know if I have anything uh, like a little bad, whatever, when it comes to taking assumptions here. But, you know, if they can get Harden back to and he's back healthy and he kind of doesn't take a step back in production and the month of Maxi in November goes off to a a hot start and he's able to really produce there and the version of Embiid, obviously, if he could just stay healthy and kind of prove similar to last season you know, where he could kind of be that MVP caliber player, that cornerstone franchise player, you know, just kind of that all around and that all NBA guy. I have no I have no worries about the Sixers at all.
1: Yeah, I'm with you, too. And I, I think that they have the talent. They they have the depth and the Anthony yeah. Melton will likely step Oh, and step Tobias in.
0: Harris, too. I, th- I forgot to mention in there, too. Obviously, I think this is an opportunity for Tobias Harris to really solidify his role.
1: Tobias Harris is the perfect guy that if he was getting paid $17 million less, every team would want him. Do you know what I mean? I think that's the problem with Tobias Harris, where he gets overlooked because of how much money he makes. I've always said this too. I like his game. He's solid defensively, not great. Uh, learning to get better at the catch and shoot threes. We've seen him trying to evolve that aspect of his game over the last year, year and a half since, or season, season and a half since they got hardened, really. Uh, but looking at, at, at what the Sixers have and, and Embiid, assuming he's going to get back to his... MVP self. I'm not worried about the Sixers in terms of the talent that they have. They might go over the next, you know, let's say 15 games. They might go nine and six or eight and seven. Even then, um, Chris, I, I've said this on the on our podcast network a lot, which yeah. is that doesn't really matter what the Sixers do in the regular season. They can go 45 and 37, get in as a six seed as long as they make some damage, do some damage in the playoffs. Right? Nobody cares. Yeah where they're at. You want to see them playing their best. Obviously, you'd rather be at the top of the NBA standings compared to the bottom. And I think looking at this right now, you mentioned the Cavs at six and one, the Bucks at, at seven and oh, haven't lost a single game. That's without Chris Middleton in the lineup. You don't want to give up. And if you're looking at this right now, the Bucks. let's just say they continue hot. If the Sixers are like eight games back at the 20 game mark, they're not going to catch Milwaukee anyways. You know what I mean? Unless they go on this ridiculous. 18 game winning streak or something like that so again looking at this get everybody healthy fine-tune what you got to do but one thing oh, to no keep panic eye-
0: button for you over there no uh, not,
1: not yet not yet now now if they're sitting at if they're sitting at 8 and 12 come time for the 20 game mark i think daryl morey doesn't have a choice except you got to get rid of doc rivers at that point
0: yeah yeah then that's going to be a tough spot you know it's it's one of those things where you know similar similar to what happened in Brooklyn you know even though it's early in the season do you want to make that change now so you have plenty of time to adjust to that decision
1: worth yeah.
0: in or do you 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 wait you know I guess what I guess I, I, I I'm not mean you'll probably have the similar number I think game by, by game 25 I think that's when you should make a decision yeah after game 25 forget it you know what I mean it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be um, it's going to be rough, you know. It's going to be hard to make that coaching decision, regardless of the talent on the floor, right? So, I don't know. The like, what's I guess if I could follow up with a question for you, yeah. When you do look at this Sixers team, right? And obviously, with Harden being on the shelf for at least the, for I would say probably it's probably going to be a little over a month. I don't think they're going to rush him back. Yeah. When you look at, um. What is what's kind of the lingering questions around Philadelphia? Outside, obviously, Doc Rivers is you know he's the main. I guess you could say a vocal point when it comes to lingering questions. But where where do you see Philadelphia? Obviously, posing like you know, okay, they got to fix this. You know, is there any fixing that needs to be going on in Philly, Philly side from a coaching change?
1: Absolutely, I think they have to look at defensively they've been terrible yep. uh, they gave up i think 68 points in the paint to a wizard's team that has what chris taps porzingis not exactly known to be a guy who's going to dominate inside but they've been getting killed off penetration they've been getting killed in transition giving up a lot of easy buckets and again they have the horses not like they don't because you have Joel Embiid, who is a great anchor in terms of a rim protector you have tobias harris again decent defender not not great not not terrible as well and then you got guys like melton guys like tucker daniel house uh, Matisse Dibal who's working himself back into the rotation now so they have good individual defenders but I, I do think that's going to be one key area for this squad going forward is are they going to be able to stop teams from getting that many easy buckets because you look at this overall the Sixers in terms of field goal percentage I believe are in the top five for defensive field goal percentage um, overall because they're not giving up too many threes they're actually not giving up too much in the half court as well. It's a transition points that have been killing them. They're giving up at last check. It was the second most uh, transition points in the league. So that is something that they're, they're going to have to focus on. And again, that's coaching, right. And, and, and doc won a championship in 2008. Sure. You get, you know, a five, six year pass for, for winning a title or even getting to the finals, but, it's been 14 years since then. Right. And so if you're not evolving yeah, and adapting
0: around him, yeah. Yeah.
1: And and that's the thing is, and and so again, you ask something that's not doc rivers related. I would say it's a defense, but again, that always ties back to doc. Um, anyways, let, let's talk Chris about the Toronto Raptors a little bit. We'll jump into some Raptors Celtics and, and Nick's talk before we wrap up here. Uh, the Raptors five and three, a resurgent Pascal Siakam looking like his all-star self, 25.6 points, 9.6 rebounds. Surprisingly, the Raptors have gotten off to a good start, despite the fact that Fred Van Vliet has not looked like himself so far. So you're looking at this Raptors squad. Do you expect them to sustain the level of play? Obviously, they made the playoffs last season ended up losing to the Sixers in six in the in the opening round. But looking at, at, at this team, it's makeup, Masai Ujiri, widely regarded, as one of the best executives in the NBA. Do you think yep. this Raptors team has enough to keep up with the top of the Eastern conference? I think they're a playoff team, but are they going to be able to compete with the Milwaukee's the Boston's the Cleveland's the Phillies come time for uh, the playoffs?
0: You know, I think the lingering question, I think something that me and you both could agree on here is when are the Raptors going to strike and acquire a superstar talent or something or a player that takes them over the top, right? Yeah. Because since the Kawhi era, they've been obviously in this excelled rebuild stage where they obviously acquired like drafted guys like Scotty Barnes. You got you you trade for guys like Pressure DeCua when you traded away Kyle Lowry. You got a guy like OGN and Obi as well, who obviously draw a lot of, drew a lot of interest this past offseason in trade talks. Then you got other guys, obviously like Bruchet, you re-signed Bruchet, you know, obviously you mentioned pa- uh, Pascal Siakam has really you know, I, I wouldn't, obviously, considering the competition in the NBA, which I talked about and we both talked about in the beginning of this episode, it, there there could be a conversation to be made whether he could make an all-NBA, you know, as far mm-hmm. as he, maybe second or third, second team, you know, obviously, considering the talent across the league, especially in the East of his positions, and, he, well, obviously, the West too, when you consider the all-NBA talk, you know, it could he get that recognition, right? Because with Toronto, the, the thing that sticks out to Toronto, I think everyone knows, even watching them from afar, they're built on continuity and cohesion throughout years, right? They've yeah. had the same foundation, same core, same young core for at least three years. You know, Scotty Barnes being the exception here being two, but um, you know, he's, he's one of the, it's one of those guys where it's one of those teams where they have plenty of assets. They have the draft picks. They have, they have the young talent. They have everything that you want in a team. And I wouldn't want to call it, obviously, I'm the Nets guy, so I kind of compare the two, but obviously not identically compare the two. You know, they, they don't give off the, those vibes of the 2018-19 Brooklyn Nets where, you know, they, they were sleepers. They played with tough grit. They played with, uh, obviously, intensity. They wanted to prove themselves. They, they absorbed that underdog mentality. But they're one of those teams, you know, you can't ever count them out. They're not going to be one of those teams that roll into your city and you have to treat them late. You know, they might not have championship aspirations, but they're in that perfect middle ground where, you know, they still are a threat when they come to your court. So, you know, when you look at their whole entire roster, obviously Fred Van Vliet's been kind of the, I guess you could say really only downside outside of the play on the court. You know, you could pick a couple little things here and there. Um, But you know they're that team that you know if they could just acquire a superstar, but at the same time keep that core together and not get at least not give away too much, you know they're a serious threat to be reckoned with.
1: Mm-hmm. Now I'm with you, I'm with you, and I think that if and again Masai Ujiri, they have some assets that they're going to be able to make a move, and it depends what happens around the NBA. Usually, once we get to like game twenty twenty five, you'll start to see those teams that are they know are out of it and might look at a rebuild look try and get rid of you know their their best players and their superstars again it's i think it's a very weird season and i I actually think it's great in terms of the fact that this is the first time in years that i've looked at the nba and i'm like i don't know who's gonna win the championship you know what i mean i don't i don't know that there's now there's 10 teams right you know what i mean
0: yeah dude it's crazy because when you just look at the talent around the league like i mentioned earlier you look at the talent you know there's plenty of sleepers and obviously you alluded to it there you know, the NBA, you know, in the second half of the year, you know, when the tanking starts to happen for Victor, you know, a lot of teams are going to want to inquire on him and want to be put in the best position possible, especially if they know that they they're confident that they can't make runs. So especially obviously that that's steering away from the fact that, OK, Orlando Magic, Indiana Pacers, San Antonio Spurs, you know, the the, the obvious cast of people. Mm. But What about those teams that are may have entered? The the, when it's game 45-50 of the season, they're in that seven, eight seed. They're in the play-in tournament gap. And they have to make the decision when the trade deadline comes around in late February saying, you know what? You know, maybe, maybe we should trade away guys, you know, give us a position and really solidify a starting rebuild. Because you got to look at it this way. Outside of Victor, you got Scoot Henderson, obviously. He would be a number one overall pick if it wasn't for Victor. Then you go down the rest of the draft. It's it's a it's a pretty volume size draft you know you're gonna get guys it's not like i I would say it's kind of i want to compare it to obviously the scotty barnes draft but there's draft there's a lot of guys in that draft that you know are not low risk high reward players i want to put it that way but they can make an impact on a franchise that's in a rebuilding stage
1: i'm with you and i think that that's what the interesting part with with this squad is right like they have those pieces that are young enough That you can look at, hey, this was going to advance or rebuild, but looking around the NBA too, who's a team that might be able to give something up, right? You're looking at Brooklyn. We talked about Brooklyn. Yeah, maybe Kyrie. Um, Nick Ferdel is coming out on Twitter basically saying that he thinks he's played his last game with the Nets, but looking around the rest like the Lakers are struggling. They're not going to be very good. Are they going to give up Anthony Davis? You know what I mean? Like, I don't really know where you can look around and be like, hey. These, and you know, the Detroit's, the Orlando's are doing a great job of building organizations for the future. They got some young, talented pieces. They're not going to give up anything to get a, a, um, a they don't have anything, of me, like a veteran available that's yeah. going to be able to uh, expedite the the Raptors chances of winning a title. So again, that's why I just think this is a very, very interesting season and things are going to start to become clearer, I think, around the league as we get to game 25 and 30. Uh, Real quick here, Chris, last couple of things. Let's, let's touch on. The Celtics, I, I'm yep. calling him crazy Joe Missoula just because of the crazy Joe Devola. I'm probably dating myself with the Seinfeld <laughs> reference, but uh, you're looking at, at, at the Celtics. They've lost three or four going into tonight's game against the Bulls, already lost the Bulls earlier on in the season, started off really well, beating Philly, beating Miami, uh, got a win against, again, a young Magic squad. But since then, lost to Chicago, lost a couple of games against the team that we mentioned that looks really good in Cleveland. When you look at what's going on in Boston, this team was expected to the favorites going into the season to win the championship. Uh, definitely expected to come out of the East right up there with Milwaukee. When you look oh. at the Celtics early struggles, do you think they're going to be able to turn things around?
0: You know, it's so tough. To, it's so tough, right? Cause they, they've got, they were starting off the season. They, they had probably, if not the most kind of disastrous start before anything even happened on the court, right? They lost to Neil Gallinari. You look what happened to Robert Williams, Obviously their head coach, obviously Ime Udoka, what happened there? That's that's a huge hit for that franchise too. Not coming back or not being able to be around a, the coach that led them all the way to the NBA finals, right? So yeah. you bring in a guy that's like Joe Missoula. Obviously, you know, he was around Ime, but I think what was it? He was behind the bench, right? He wasn't even in the front of the bench last year, I think it mm-hmm. was because yeah. Will Hardy went to the 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 Jazz, right? Yeah. Look at what moves they could do. You know, they had a favorable offseason bringing in guys like Malcolm Brogdon. I like that Blake Griffin signing for Robert Williams Insurance. You know, I have I got to cover Blake. I have the privilege of covering Blake in Brooklyn. He's one of those guys that will put the rest of all of his knee tissue out there on the court, right? He's one of those guys that, you know, he'll give you that heart. He'll give you that toughness. He's kind of that veteran voice too. Obviously, he's he's never been able to get over the top, but he knows what it's like to play with other superstars, right? So, and then you look at, Obviously, what's this team going to do with Grant Williams, right? They couldn't come to an extension there. I guess you call it that – I kind of call it the big controversy, right, because the big man position. Obviously, you have the free agency of Al Horford coming up as well. Um, so, obviously, why, how are they going to pick and choose there? Then, you know, it's it's one of those teams that, you know, you can't overlook, you know, and obviously for years and years and years until last year everyone thought, okay, is it time to break up the Tatum-Brown duo, you know, and obviously you heard glimpses of the Kevin Durant talk saying, okay, that Jalen Brown's on the market, whatever the case is, so you know, really, all these top Eastern Conference contenders, you gotta wonder, it's like, what moves can they make, and you know, with Boston, they're absorbing all the damage that they could kind of come off of, you know, Mm -hmm. Jason Tatum's been taking levels up every single game of the season, you know, he's starting; he's really starting to show, hey, he's a superstar in this league, I know that's been a a very talked about debate these past couple of years, whether you want to consider Jason Tate, a superstar. I do consider him a superstar. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm with you at this age 24. Um, But you know, it's, it's one of those things when you look at the roster, they have the tools, they have the depth, obviously they're absorbing a lot of injuries at this time, but you know, it's, you know, it's one of those, they're one of those teams that, you know, you kind of just kind of got to wait and see how they can get over this rough patch, especially with guys like when does Robert Williams return, and like I mentioned before, obviously, with Gallinari out for the rest of the year, um, when you look at even other guys, their depth, too, obviously just sticks out. You know, you look at Von ley has been pretty good for them, filling in for that kind of that injury support role. You know, obviously, Derek White's been up and down a little bit. But, you know, overall, you know, they're they're one of those teams that I could see being not middle of the pack, but it it's really depends. I think you could agree here. It really depends on when they can get healthy.
1: Yeah, because they need Robert Williams, and if he's back, and again might be back in, in next month, uh, maybe have to wait a little bit longer. But he's the guy who anchors that team, and they were so good defensively, basically from late December on last year and through the playoffs. And then oh, we yeah. saw him, you know, with his knee problems in the finals there too, definitely hurt that squad. But uh, and throughout the playoffs as well. But you look at at him; he is so key to making that team work, and he kind of solidifies that rotation in terms of the top seven so uh, again I'm, I'm with you i think health is going to be important for that team but i do think the celtics are going to be a force to be reckoned with as time goes on a team that i think that won't be a force close to you there in the in brooklyn the new york knicks uh, yeah. started off three and one everybody was like getting happy jalen brunson the hype train the hundred million dollar man and now well they're starting to fall back to earth they beat let's not forget the teams that they beat where Detroit, Orlando, and Charlotte ended up losing to three presumable at least play-in teams with Milwaukee, Cleveland, and Atlanta. They play the Sixers tonight uh, at home at the at the Garden. And then you look at the at the schedule for the Knicks, they got Boston after that, Minnesota on the road, Brooklyn. Again, who knows what's going to be happening at that point with the Nets, where they're going to have a tough, a tough November in terms of their schedule. Yeah. Uh, they got Denver, Golden State, Phoenix. That's on the on the Western Road Spring there. They're going to play Portland, a team that's playing well, Memphis. Uh, you got Milwaukee again at the end of the month. You're looking at this Knicks squad, uh, proverbially going to be in the number 11 or 12 discussion for the Eastern conference. Uh, do you think the Knicks again, Leon Rose and, and co not doing a great job trying to build that roster up. But when you look at the Knicks, do you are you with me on this? Chris, they're not going to be in the play discussion come time for March and April.
0: I, I don't want to, I don't want to cement uh, cement a claim there. I think they have a chance, but at the same time, I think they got to make some moves here. You know, I think, I think that's what it comes down to as this roster is currently constructed. I don't see it happening. But at the same time, it when you look at this Knicks team, especially with Thibodeau in the chair, I don't see them taking on a tanking approach. You know what I yeah. mean? That's the other thing that, that's so interesting because it's like outside of the, the balance of power, the balance of the strength along the Eastern Conference, especially, obviously, considering what the Hawks in the offseason, the Cavs, too. You know, any it's the playing tournament could be anyone's grab. You know what I mean? As long as you're committed to winning, right? Yeah. Because there's going to be teams that tank, you know, there's going to be teams that tank. I'd say even in the East, I could see what you could probably see it too. At least four teams, you know, by game 35 that start taking a little hit and they start going down the, the, the standings. Right. But when you look at this next team, you know, obviously rj barrett you know i was high on him you know i've that when after he got drafted you could you could quote me on this i thought that he would be the best rookie in that draft class when it was all said and done i had that on record obviously i'm not with considering zion and Jot's not really going the greatest but um when you're not a good caller right yeah. i thought he was gonna be the most nba ready guy you know obviously with zion i thought uh, obviously the injury proneness obviously i don't want to ever deem that or even um go that route with a player. I want them to they all have success there. But um when you look at this roster, you know, it's, 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 it comes off as like an incomplete roster, right? It's yeah. not a balanced roster. Obviously Julius Randall is going through Julius Randall things. You know, Julius Randall has it's, it's, it's tough for Julius. Cause I don't think even though as bad as um the Knicks have been, well, not just pushing for it. Cause they struggled to lure free agents, uh, star free agents to the garden. But you know, I th- I think me and you know uh, can uh, say that um, it's safe to say that Julius Randle cannot be a number one option. You know what I mean? If that 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 ship has sailed, then you look at guys like Jalen Brunson, for example. I think Jalen Brunson was an excellent pickup for this team, especially at the price they got him at, right? Because mm-hmm. with Jalen, he's one of those guys that yes, maybe you know, considering how the NBA goes and how he could, he's an MIP candidate. You know what I mean? He he's he's excelled. His turnover to his, his turnover ratio has been excellent. You know, he's really been able to weather a lot in, in New York. Um, I think he's made for New York. I think this is the perfect opportunity to go to New York in his career coming off the Dallas tenure. Um, obviously, the one underlying move I kind of like was the R- Isaiah Hartenstein signing for them. You know, yeah, I, yeah. Thought, I thought obviously I saw a glimpse of him on the Rockets. I saw glimpses of him in his, uh, his other previous stops. But I thought that was a really good backup center acquisition, right? And something that the Nets could have used. And I think, you know, other other teams that lack at the, at the five depth could have used, right? Especially at the price they got him at. I really do like that move. Manuel Quickly, obviously, I think he's been in the he's, – he's struggled a little bit here too. Cam Reddish has had up and down years. Cam Reddish has kind of been that lingering question on this team, whether, okay, is it worth flipping him? Is he going to be that wing that, you know, can make an impression, can even start some games? Can he be in that conversation? Uh, Mitchell Robinson too, you know, you know when you really – Evan Fournier, you know, when you really just look at this roster, it's an incomplete roster. That's why I don't really deem them to have that much success. I know a lot of people call them a fun team, you know, a fun team to watch considering how incomplete this roster is. You know, it's they have a couple standouts and everything, but – You know, it's it's one of those teams that, you know, they're they're in the bare bone. They're in a rebuild stage. Obviously, they don't have those type of tools um, to go out and go advance their rebuild by getting maybe a verge superstar or someone like that. You know, Donovan Mitchell would have been great for this team, but you got to remember, I know a lot of people were pissed off that they didn't trade for Donovan. But at the same time, look what, what this team would have to give up. Do you think that success margin would even budge considering what they what the Jazz were demanding there? So I don't know. What what do you, I'm curious. What do you think about the Knicks from being obviously a guy that covers the Sixers and you know, that's not in New York or based in New York. What, what do you think about this team?
1: I, I just think they're, they're the opposite of the Raptors, right? They're, they're a team that I, has, like, that.
0: I like that. Yeah. One.
1: Like they have the, they have sub, the talented pieces. You mentioned like RJ Barrett, again, a guy who might develop into a consistent 21, 22, 23 point per game guy, Jalen Brunson. I like his game, not as a number one, on yep. a team. And you mentioned Julius Randle. You basically with those three, you got a bunch of threes on a championship team, right? I mean, third options, right? And so exactly. they don't, they don't have, you, you look at, at what the Knicks have done. And it, I mean, obviously this has been, um, a, a complete disaster. If you look at the last 10 years, you know, basically they made the playoffs that one year, I think it was 2012 with, uh, with Carmelo. And then that's all you really have. And you look at, at their, they have some assets that they that they could look at offloading but again going to be difficult because you don't have the cap space or seven million uh, below the luxury luxury tax threshold at this point so um looking at it it's 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 going to be tough for them to be able to add a piece and and we talked about this earlier looking at the raptors that Who knows who's going to be available? And again, you're looking at the bottom of the NBA where, yeah, you typically might have a guy who is coming up for free agency that has told the team he's not going to resign, who is a superstar, all-star level player. There's just none of those available. So I think the Knicks, at least for this season, are going to be stuck in this purgatory thing that they'll be. Because I I look at the East, Chris, and if, if Brooklyn's able to figure things out, just given the talent level. And again, I don't know if Kyrie's ever going to play a game again, but you do have Kevin Durant one of the best players of all time there. But you look around the rest of that conference, like if Brooklyn's able to jump New York, who else, like maybe the wizards fall out of the, 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 the play in playoff conversation. But the rest of those nine squads to me, like Milwaukee, Cleveland, Toronto, Atlanta, Boston, Chicago, Philly, Miami, those got those teams are in. You know what I mean? Yeah, like they're not going to so. lose out to Charlotte, Detroit or Orlando. So I think that's where things get interesting for the Knicks. I'm one of those guys who I don't, don't get me wrong about Knicks fan at all. I don't, I don't give two shits about the, the Knicks overall, but I do think that um the Knicks are, the league is better when the Knicks are good. Do you know what I'm saying? It, it just oh, brings us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, and, and you, you feel it there in, in, in New York too, where it's, there's a buzz and people give a shit and people care and now you know, you're...
0: Much, you know how much sorry you know how yeah. much I've been like, especially after obviously Kevin Durant Kyrie Irving came. You know how long I've been praying at nights for the Knicks and the Nets to be good at the same exact time? I've been praying years yeah. for that. Yeah. And like something like obviously LA's LA's LA considering obviously the, the, the stature both teams are posing right now. But something similar to that, you know, you got a star in one area, you got two stars in the other area. You could form that kind of cross-town rivalry. It can't just be one of those rivalries that are based on location, you know. Like I've been sorry, cut you. I'm just I want to put that out there. I am praying every single day, and I know Nets fans are like, "What are you talking about?" Like uh, I want the Knicks to stay bad. You know, they they're the Knicks. But it would just generate a different type of buzz that New York hasn't seen before, you know. And it's a yeah. great league. Is from the money wise on court, everything that could go right could go right.
1: Oh yeah, and and I think that's where I, I'm hoping the Knicks can get good because that does turn into it. Just turns makes a league better, right? Like you look around, even at the at the NFL, you got hey, when the Steelers, the the Cowboys, the the Niners, like these Packers, the legacy teams are good. The Giants, it, it, it yeah. makes the league that much better so again i'm hoping the knicks will figure it out i'm not confident that they will but i do hope that uh that they do let let's wrap things up here chris for our inaugural episode of this we're going to be doing the atlantic division mixtape every friday uh going to be off next week for veterans day it it is a holiday and then we'll be off again for for black friday at the uh at the end of the month but looking forward to doing this more chris might Uh, be doing some percent yeah, we'll do some we'll do some streams. We'll do some, you know, we'll we'll try some different stuff with this. But uh, always appreciate uh, a review, a subscription to the Liberty Ballers. Uh, we're going to be pumping this out on our Celtics feed as well. So uh, wherever you can catch us, we appreciate it. And Chris, I'm looking forward to doing this uh, week in and week out with you, man.
0: I'm looking forward to it too, man. I, you know, obviously we've been in the work. We've been talking about this in the works for months now, and it's kind of finally came into fruition. Couldn't have asked for a better co-host than yourself. So excited for this. Uh, Guys, please subscribe to this podcast. Uh, You guys won't be disappointed. We're going to pump out content and uh, definitely interact with you guys as well.
1: Yeah, for sure, man, and 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 we'll do this and uh, you know, keep enjoying it. Keep trying to make it better. So uh, we appreciate everybody who listened. If you want to give us feedback, by all means, feel free to do so. Uh, you, we're not going to take anything as as a, as a hateful thing, or we're always uh, looking to to get better. You can follow Chris yeah. on Twitter at c milholland. That's m i l h o l e n s b, and you can also follow me at Kang 21 So we'll wrap up th- wrap things up here uh again appreciate the 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 listeners hope you'll be doing some streams as well going forward and we'll catch you all coming up in about two weeks